Oh, it's a pig! Welcome to the Lake Erie Kayak Anglers Podcast, the podcast designed to make you a better angler. I'm Chuck Earls from LakeerieKayakFishing.com. Today we have Lake Erie walleye legend Ross Robertson joining us. How are you doing today, Ross? I can't complain. You know, we always could, right? The world's crazy, but we get to fish all the time. Nobody wants to hear us complain, man. Exactly. They think we're living the life. They don't realize the uh, 20 hours a day that it takes to be fortunate enough to fish all the time, right? They do. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm kind of enjoying this. It's been a little bit since I've been on a podcast because obviously I do my own. And uh, it's a lot easier to be on one than to run one. You know, so I'm kind of enjoying this. I'm not going to lie to you. For sure. You just kind of sit down and, and field the questions. Yeah, no doubt. I, and I have no problem talking, as you know. So, yeah, this, I'm going to enjoy this one. So I read somewhere you've been guiding on the lake since uh, age 19. Yeah, I mean, I know guys ask me all the time. And it should be a simple thing because it's obviously unlike what, you know, it's your favorite crankbait or something. It's the definitive answer. Um, I've worked for a guy in my teens, you know, as a mate or whatever you want to call it. And once I was old enough to get my own captain's license, I did so and, and started doing that kind of on the, the forefront of what we now call small boat guiding. You know, there was nobody at that time running, you know, small boat trips. And a guy you may have heard of, his name's Al, Al Linder. He told me, Bob, you need to do these education trips. You need to get these people hands on. And, you know, it sounds crazy, but back then everybody had 27 foot sport crafts, maybe a 30 foot sport craft if you were one of the big shooters there. And, you know, we were doing that stuff out of a, uh, you know, a 20 foot at the time, aluminum boat and moving, you know, kind of like, you know, what you're doing now with the kayak fish, you know, moving to the fish, whether it's water conditions, fish movement or whatever. And uh, now, obviously, a lot of people are doing that, but I guess 24 years ago or something like that, 23 years ago, there wasn't anybody doing it. So, right. Well, I think in general, Lake Erie is a very intimidating body of water for most. You know, they look at, I'm taking a 13 foot kayak out there and half these people wouldn't even be comfortable in a 30 footer. There's times I think you're crazy. <laughs> well, I, I kind of have to be a little crazy, right? Yeah. To be out there doing this stuff. But, you know, really at the end of the day, it's, I might not wake up tomorrow. So I'm going to do everything I can to live to the fullest today. You know, a lot of times I think people stop themselves out of fear instead of just preparing for it and, you know, go out there and experience life because who knows when it's over. Well, you know, I, I like to bust your chops and there's been a few things out there where I'm busting your chops, but at least in, in fairness to you. So people that are listening to that, because there are people out there that are just stupid and crazy with this. And, and I, it doesn't mean just a kayak. I mean, like you said, it could be a 30 foot boat. You've got to take those steps. And that's kind of what you preach, you know, with all the different things that you take safety measures, because just because you're in a 30 foot boat doesn't mean you're safe. And, you know, I tell people all the time when I tell them, it's kind of the opposite of the guide. I don't know if you, you get this, where you tell people, hey, we can't go today out of, you know, safety concerns because of weather. And normally the, the clients actually are the ones that are like, no, 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 we want to go. Obviously, it's because of ignorance and they don't understand what's going to happen. But I always tell them, hey, the Edmund Fitzgerald's in the bottom, bro. 
you know, right. they, and so when people see like 30 foot boat or, you know, like the ranger that I guide out of, and obviously you and the kayak people are, as you get progressively one step bigger than what we fish out of, everybody thinks all of a sudden it's okay. And um, it's just funny. Most of the times I think those bigger boats are the people that are least prepared for things, to be honest. You know, I agree. And it's not, it's not intentional. I don't think it's just when you have a vessel like that, a boat under, you know, big gas motor, um, you kind of get complacent, you know, you depend on the boat too much. Whereas as a kayak angler, I know for a fact that I cannot depend on that thing as much. So I need to depend on my preparations, you know, and I think that's really the, the definitive factor is in a kayak, we know we're kind of taking risks in a boat. You really don't know you're taking risks until you get caught with your pants down out there. Yeah. And I think the big thing too is, is, and I'm not trying to knock our local people, but there's a lot of people that live here. I don't think they truly understand what resource we have. And what I mean by that is if you live in South Dakota or Minnesota, Wisconsin, and you come here and fish, you're like, Oh my God, right. this, this is, this is insane. And a lot of the people that fish here or boat, just recreational boaters, either way, if they didn't live here, they wouldn't be doing it. You know, it's in my blood. Like if I move to Alaska, I'm doing it. If I move to North Dakota for whatever crazy reason, like I'm still doing what I'm, you know, the hunting, fishing and, and outdoor stuff where I think a lot of people take advantage of it because it's the thing to do here. Like, hey, it's to go to Put Bay this weekend. You're not really a boater. Like you're going to Put Bay, which I love. I do. But it's not it's not like entrenched in them. And so I think that's where a lot of the stuff comes with, again, not trying to harp on safety stuff. But, dude, when you've seen what I've seen and you pulled as many bodies out as I have, um, not to sound morbid, but mm, not cool, not fun. Yeah. yeah, I agree. You know, it's it's one of those things where you just kind of you try to prepare as best you can, um, not just for yourself, but any situation you come across. Yeah, for helping people, too. Yep. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, there's it's just crazy people that don't have stuff, you know, tow ropes and just simple things that are, like you said, you don't you don't know you need it till you need it, and then it's too late, and then right. you don't need it again for another twenty years. But right. <laughs> so with that being said, why don't we talk about some of the safety preparations that you use for your guide service or for your charter service? You know, I think. It, it, it's equipment and you know, I don't run down a list or whatever, but I think just like you said, if, if it's not even for yourself, it's for others, because you hopefully want to be that guy that, you know, you need that thing, just like a toe strap. I mean, the person that pulls up that maybe is going to help you and get you off like, yeah, Hey, I got tow boat us. Okay, great. Me too. But does that help you if you're on rocks or something or, you know what I mean? And there's somebody right there to help so having all those things and I think just know how to use it you know I think you know and I'm even guilty of some of that because there's certain things we just you know don't use and I've, I've seen some of your stuff where you kind of do that little bit of prep practice if you will and um, so I mean I care of everything from you know jump boxes to obviously the, the different ropes the tools the things that I've learned like I can tell you one thing again won't apply to a kayak as much probably but um, just a little multimeter I can't tell you how many times that saved me or somebody else um, when trying to diagnose something, it's five seconds instead of what, 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 um, because even if you get me or somebody that's even more knowledgeable on the phone, they can't diagnose things. And a literally a cheap multimeter is something that I used to just carry in my truck. Now I carry one in my boat as well. Um, you know, having your safety equipment readily available, you know, I, I probably preach safety, be honest with you. Maybe it's just because 
the world we're in, but more with ice fishing. But, um, you know, having that stuff readily available, like I tell people when we're doing these ice fishing seminars, it's like, hey, have your, your stuff, you know, not in a bucket, you know, full of lures that are hung in it. So when you actually need it, but the same is true for open water. It really is. Um, you know, having those throwables out, um, like I take a rope bag and I actually take it off my ice machine and I hook that to my throwable because it's just another way of just making things easier. Um, and, and it's, it's no inconvenience. It's really not. Um, I've got a little clam cargo net underneath my passenger console and depending on where you're at, you know, like in Minnesota, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty strict on having those life jackets out and ready to go. That's why a lot of those guys there, you see they buckle them to the back of the seat or whatever. Um, but in our boats, you know, like I'm required to carry some crazy giant type one orange Gilligan life jackets that nobody's going to wear. And they take up a lot of room, you know, they take up tackle room. And so I made a little uh, spot there underneath my passenger console and, uh, that way they're also even, like I said, more legally, depending on what state you're in, but also a lot more readily accessible because if something happens, you know, it happens so fast. And I think that's the thing. Unfortunately, I haven't had that situation personally. And so I don't even know how I would react necessarily, but I know multiple people that have had their boats driven over like, like a bad video you see on the YouTube, you know, where right. even just recently a guy that uh, bought one of my older boats, I mean, a boat drove a 30 foot Baja literally like, again, I don't know what he was doing either, but over the top of them. And so, you know, you don't have time to dig through your compartments at that point. Um, right. I've seen an awful lot of boat wrecks, man. And again, that's why when people, they look at me and I might in some circles be known as a wild man. Um, but there are people always surprised at, you know, how I'm like, Hey, you know, we got to do this and this because I, I mean, we literally, my, my team, if you will, of guys, I mean, we've, I think we're on four or five bodies that we've helped recover. So when you see that, if it doesn't make you take a step back, you're either not very smart or not very smart. So right. you know, I mean, even, even when I see one of those things, I, as horrible as to say, I mean this in the nicest way possible, it's kind of a blessing because I think for another year or two, I still kind of think about that every now and then when I'm making decisions and thinking like, is this, re is this really what we need to do? And again, not as much for me as it is, you know, the people often that I'm taking because I probably can't rely upon them to really help me out, you know? Right. And, and, and I, and I'm not doing everything I probably should be like, I don't wear a life jacket all the time, which is something it, it's kind of like eating good. You know, we all know we should do it. Right. And, and that's kind of one of my little, I hate to say goals, but it's one of those things I'm trying to force myself, but it's always one of those, either I got giant clothing, making excuses again. But, you know, I either got giant clothes on or it's a thousand degrees and, um, you know, we need to do it because I just think about it like this, like people with what I do say, well, what you do is different. It is, but it isn't because if you're my, my neighbor and he's taking his grandkids out and something happens and, and he falls out, everybody else in the boat's in deep duty. You know, I would hate for 99% of the people to have to operate my boat to either stop it or to come get me if I fell out. Like it would, it would be bad. It would be bad. Now we throw cold water in there. That's a bad deal. So, right. I mean, and again, like people, even right now, they may even be fast forwarding through this because they're like, Oh yeah, I get it. Bro. You don't know until you've watched this or you've had this happen because, you know, army Corps of engineers has ranked Lake Erie, the danger, most dangerous body of water to navigate like a bazillion years in a row. And there's a reason for it. It's just, it's a nasty place. It really is. And I mean, over the years, there's plenty of examples 
Um, the most recent probably would be that accident that happened in the Western Basin last winter. Um, I believe the one boat was casting or something, and the other boat was was underway, and uh, they ran them over. Well, the boat that was underway, they weren't wearing the PFDs. They went in the water, and uh, and obviously they didn't make it in the cold water. Um, so that that PFD factor, that that life jacket factor, that's super important. Um, most people don't think about it. The time that you're going to need it is is when you're underway. You're going 40 mile an hour. All of a sudden, there's a 20 foot tree that you hit. You know, just floating in the middle of the lake. We've all seen them. Um, now you're in the water. Well, if that water's temperature is below 60 degrees, you got two to 10 minutes just to get your breath, you know, under your breathing under control before you even try to save yourself. And if, if people aren't prepared in the boat, you know, you might end up like that charter captain in New York that went out and didn't come back, you know? Um, so I think that's super important. And, and somebody in your position, um, I think that's probably why you push it so much, just like I do, because people are watching, they respect you. They know that you have the knowledge and the information. So when you say, Hey, we need to be safe. We need to consider this. We need to wear a PFD. You know, I think, yeah, some people fast forward through it, but a lot of people are listening and, and even the people fast forward and they're still listening. It's still in the back of their head. It's just like marketing, you know, billboards, you still retain a certain portion of that or whatever. Right. But I think that, um, I think like when you think back when I was a young kid, like all the charter guys, you know, had no shirts on and it was like the darker you were, the cooler it was. Right. And I think kind of like nowadays it's like everyone's wearing sun shirts. I mean, God knows this ginger's got to, but you know, like, I mean, they're just bundled up because it's not as cool to be stupid as stupid anymore, even though we got a lot of stupid out there. You know, I think people are kind of learning and, and statistically we've got more, operator air or more incidents you know according to watercraft than we've ever had and i think a lot of that's just you know situations maybe more people doing it i think there's a lot of people uh, again there's especially a lot of young people that are not probably capable of harnessing the horsepower just like if you were to give some 18 year old kid a you know some motorcycle that goes 120 you know, he's, he's going to go beyond his driving capabilities. And I think the same thing is true in a boat. There's a lot of people that just don't know how to drive a boat for, for even forget speed. And then when you throw these horsepowers, I mean, even when I started, like, you know, I'm not that old relative, you know, I had a 225 and that was a big deal because I was right at that verge of when they got to those bigger blocks. So before that, I mean, a lot of those guys in those early PWT turns had 90 horses, 115s. When those 150s came out at the very beginning of my career, I was like, oh my God. And then when I started kind of doing it as my job, you know, we had 225s. Now we're running 400s, you know, crazy difference. And the boats proportionately aren't, you know, that much more to have that much more horsepower on them. These things are going just crazy speed. And I don't know. I just, I don't think people understand. The most asked question I probably get in my boat, which is sad, is how fast will it go? You know, and, and people that are buying them are looking at them and you're like, I don't, I don't open it up. They think I'm lying to them, but I'm like where we're at, it's not an open it up deal. It's just not. So I can't afford to anymore if we, if we could. <laughs> right. So, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that a buddy of mine bought, what is it? It's a 189 Kingfisher, I believe. 
nice boat. Um, so three of us were out there and uh, my other buddy, he let him drive. We took his hand off the steering wheel for a second. The boat just did a quick 180. And, and fortunately, the way that the boat handled that situation, um, it just kind of sat down in the water and kept us in the boat. But the wrong kind of boat, you could easily be thrown off of that. And really, it was just because the, the guy driving the boat really didn't know any better. And he didn't realize when you take your hand off that steering wheel, that rotational uh, force from the motor is going to make that boat kick around. You know, and it's it's situations like that with, I mean, this was a 150 Honda, I believe. Um, I couldn't imagine with a 400 Verado. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know anything about the Hondas, but like the Verado with the, the power steering that they have, that that really helps. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, there's there's no wires, um, so it, it's pretty amazing. And so some, some of the technology does help us, but we've got to be smart enough to know how to use it. So Right. Let's get into who is Ross Robertson. Oh boy, that depends on who you talk to. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that could go anywhere from heaven to hell right there, quick. Right. I think when it comes down to it, I'm just a redneck that likes to fish, you know. Right. And I knew early on that um, I I was gonna fish, and I turned down a really really good job because apparently I'm actually pretty smart, believe it or not. Got a college diploma got an education as they say but i knew that that just wasn't for me and the suit well that deal i think i remember hearing that that guy said listen ross i know you like to fish but i'm hiring you so i can go and have a good time and you have to work you can't fish saturdays that's exactly right that's <laughs> exactly right and and you know at the, the end of that story is is i mean it was a crazy job i think my mom cried for like six months because i mean <laughs> financially and just just the whole situation it was one of those dream deals that you go hey you only get a couple swings at the bat like this in life and um i just knew though that when he started talking about the different nuances of it that for somebody that's into that man that was a dream deal um, it's kind of like if you were to break down what we do right and you go hey you got to get up at 4 a.m every day you're going to make half as much you really start breaking down what you're doing and hey, you got to do this and you got 12 hour days every day. Probably not too many people signing up. Like if you don't have right. that passion to do it and and I did and that's just what it was. And I didn't even think about it because I was so entrenched in it. and still I am, you know, damn near 30 years later. But um, the, the sad part of that deal is, is that guy ended up committing suicide. Oh, wow. Crazy deal. And, and I've known a couple people in my life that have and they're the people you would never suspect, you know, so deep down that guy, he had everything you could ever imagine, amazing family money out the yin yang. And it just goes to show you that if, if you're, if you're not really happy, you're camouflaging those things. And so while I think everybody around me thought I was batshit crazy, um, I know now still there's, there's no, you know, hindsight being 2020, I still made the right decision for me. Right. Um, and I, I don't think, even some of the other people who were involved in that said, you know, we, we, I think we hoped that you would do it, but we really knew you weren't, you know, if you're one of those guys, like if you're good enough to do what they wanted to do, they're like, Hey, you're going to do your own thing. What you want to do. I'm not, I'm not a good employee, Chuck, not a good employee. No, me neither. That's why I've had, I can't even tell you how many different jobs, different careers, you know, at the end of the day, I like to be a go-getter. Uh, there are no stop signs. All there is is growth. So let's make a plan. Let's get to work. 
you know, if you don't want to do the work, I'll do it. But people don't like that, you know, so really, that's, that's kind of what led me to doing what I do. And like you said, I mean, there's not, there's not a whole lot of money in, in doing this stuff. Um, but it's, well, it's happiness. It is, but I, I would even argue that because where I started and where I'm at is a whole different place. And I'm like, I never thought I could have taken it to this level, to be perfectly honest. But I think you just need time. It's just like, you know, I mean, we've all had this conversation, even though I'm not supposed to say this out loud, right? Where they're like, oh, this kid wants to be the CEO. He graduated high school six months ago and, he, and he's trying to, you know, want to know when he's going to be the, you know, the vice president of the company type of thing. Right. I think that's the same thing with fishing, to be honest with you. I think we all bust on 18 to 20 year old kids for saying that stuff. But I think there's a lot of 30, 40 year old people doing the same thing where they haven't got that skill set. They haven't put in their time, you know, especially with, with guiding and stuff. I just had a client the other day that was like, man, I really feel like fishing is going to suffer down the road. And I never thought about it, what she said. And, you know, this is a woman, she likes to fish or whatever. How's her and her husband fish with me all the time? And they said, you know, a lot of the good guides that we fish with, because they fish all over the world, really, or the United States for sure. And they said, a lot of the good guides are getting, they're about done, you know, like physically and just age wise and everything else. And they're like, man, there's not a lot coming up behind. And we, today, I think we could say the same thing for electricians or anything else where we, we have that age gap, just like with fish, right? Like we, we, we have some bad year classes and all of a sudden we got five pounders and we got 12 inches. And I think the same thing is true of a guide where you just can't go out. If there's a place you could, it would be where we're at but you just can't go out and learn, you know? So maybe a guide that's a, what I would call off the record, an okay guide is he's guys going to catch him when, when, when it's catchable, but right. that guy on that tough day, or when things change on the fly, that's the guy that's leading the pack and making her happen. And, and this conversation was spurred because we did a 180, even though we had a great day before, like I saw the conditions changing, we had to do a complete 180, did her own thing, never saw another boat within a hundred miles of us, exaggerating, but never visually saw another boat. She was just like, how did you know to do that? I'm like a lot, a lot, a lot of time on the water. And you can't, I guess my point is, is, you know, you can go to school, you can do something and you get better and better at, it takes a long time to be a really good guide in my opinion. Right. And when you see, it's like, even me, like, I feel like, um, I know you're not supposed to say these things about yourself, but I feel like I'm a really good guide. But yet at the same point, am I? Because if I went down to Florida, I'm nothing there. You know what I mean? Because now we're talking title stuff. Now we don't know all your nuances and things. So that's why, why fishing is a love-hate affair for, I think, even, even you. You know, you're Mr. Positive. You're more positive than I am. But I think that you never can master fishing. My buddy Joe Ocott always says, Ross, even you can't master fishing. You know, other sports, I don't know if you argue that, but um, there's too many things that change. The fish change, the conditions change, the weather change, you change. Um, there's just a bazillion, a bazillion variables, you know. Uh, right. I always, I always tell my buddies that, you know, like I got a lot of buddies in the hunting industry. I'm like, you can see what you're going after. I tell my buddies that I like the golf, which I don't like saying the G word. But I always tell the golfer boys, I'm like, listen, your, your course, oh, oh, they moved the hole. And I'm like, yeah, what, 10 feet? I'm like, dude, you stand on every Saturday, you stand in the same thing, you hit it the same deal, you know what's going to happen. I'm like, come on, we don't know, Jack, you know, and, and that's the thing that makes it so frustrating. But truthfully, I mean, I got a question for you. So, again, we get to fish a lot of days in a row. I hate 
the unknown, right? Like I don't like surprise birthday parties, but at the same point, when I go out there and we have just a knock them down, eat them up bite, which we've had, you know, this year in particular, like May and June, and I'm just wearing them out like four or five fish out at a time, just boom, 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 boom. It maybe takes the vault, the, you know, the gold out of that a little bit when it's, when it's that easy. Now I like it easy. Don't get me wrong, but it's this bittersweet deal of like, I want that. But when I get it, man, fortunately the fish and the weather normally don't, they don't let you live it too long, but do, right. do you know, how do you ever feel that way about, you know, I, like when it's super easy and you're like, everybody's like, Oh, whatever. Oh, I, oh I'll reel this one. And I guess, right. And prior to that, everybody's fighting for the, you know, the rod. So. Yeah. I feel the same way. Um, I've never been one to try to take the easy street. Uh, you know, even with the Lake Erie walleye trail, um, competing with a kayak, you know, a lot of people are like, well, they should let you, you know, launch early or closer to the lake, or they should do this or some kind of handicapped. Um, at the end of the day, you don't learn much when you have it given to you or you have handicaps and stuff like that. Now, with that being said, when I'm out there and the bite is just on fire, I don't feel like my clients are getting what I expect to give them because I can't, I can't work them through the struggles. You know, it's just easy. It's like, Hey, catch fish. You catch 50 fish in a day where you're not getting the knowledge when the bite slows down and we make that transition or we make that move, you're missing out on that because the fishing's too easy today, you know? Um, so I'm always looking for that opportunity to uh, to learn something new or to share some new information with somebody, you know. So when it's when it's just gangbusters, I mean it's it's awesome. The fishing's fun, but the knowledge is, uh, you know, you don't have that opportunity uh, to share as much. I think. I'm sure my clients are like, "Shut up!" But you, you, I, I think that you, as a guide, find out really fast that you don't. I like fishing. I like catching probably better. But again, when I have too much catching, I think it's not as good. And I really enjoy fishing. Like old man Fofferich, Jim Fofferich senior guy kind of taught me the game. He said, he said, I hope I live long enough that you enjoy a day in the lake. I never forgot that. That was a long time ago. And I didn't understand it at the time. And I've said this many, many times, probably every damn podcast I've done on. Because I like to give credit to the old dudes who was like straight OG. I mean, crazy good. And it's true of, you know, like I, he didn't unfortunately get to see me enjoy a day on the lake, but I'm at that point now. And I'm trying to ironically impress that upon people that are much older than me generally. And I think my point is, is just because you're not doubled over with a rod and reel doesn't mean it's, it's not a good time. You know what I mean? And right. I think that that's one thing that I guess maybe I'm imparting my will on people and I shouldn't be doing that. But like, I listen to a podcast. I've been trying to find some other fishing podcasts, to be honest with you, with some of the travels I got this time of year sitting on planes and such. And I'll be honest, there's not a lot of good podcasts out there. Everybody quit after COVID. Everybody started one for COVID. Now they, they aren't doing it anymore. And you just listening to some, uh, there's some saltwater guys and some OG like guys in their neck of the woods that were the deal and listening to them talking about, Hey, I will pull, you know, meaning, you know, pulling in the back of the boat for these guys, fly guys, even though I hate fly fish. But he's like, I will pull so hard for a guy that has passion 
you know, and he said, but at the same point, if a guy doesn't do any casting practice at all, and he's like, knows he's doing this trip six months or a year in advance, and he's, he's basically setting us up for failure ahead of time. He's like, it's hard for me because that guy doesn't have the passion. He's like, you don't have to be a good fisherman for me to really, really like you. And I think that that's one thing that people don't understand. That is 1000% true with me. If you really are into it, it doesn't, if you don't know anything, it's probably better because I don't right. have what I feel are bad habits, but I don't think there's a lot of passion. And I don't think this is just the fishing thing. I, I don't think there's nearly the passion. Um, again, I'm hitting all the buzz things to piss everybody off, but I don't care. Uh, you know, again, now people like fall brawl, for example, or, or I won't even get on that tangent of the fall derby things, but you know, there's a bazillion people out there. Great. None of the people I work with want to hear me say that they don't like that. But the thing is, is like, okay, on, you know, whatever that date is, you know, November 28th or whatever, the lake's empty. I love it. After whatever that date is, you know, that's over with. And I'm like, guys, literally the best fishing because the, tur the tournament's always won at the end, right? I mean, for yeah. 10 years and as a guy that's done this forever, it's always, it's getting better and better as you go later. And it's like, do you really have to have that kind of carrot to enjoy the best fishing on the lake? You know what I mean? Like, right that that time of year and so i just again it's that passion thing and i think that um that's why i surround myself with a small group of people but there's some good dudes man you know like I, i'm not the guy you know and people hear me and i'm never stopped chirping and i'm always busting everybody's balls and everything but when it comes down to it my circle's really small because i really i have to surround myself with people that have that hard working and passion and i don't think there's that many anymore I mean, people, I mean, there, yeah, there's a bunch, but proportionally it's just not there. Well, you know, we've always had the, uh, the 80, 20 rule where 20% of the people do, you know, all the, all the work and 80% of the people are just average. It's just, it's getting worse nowadays because everything, people think everything is so readily available. They don't need to learn the knowledge because they can just Google it. Well, you can Google how to catch fish. Doesn't mean you're going to go out and do it, you know, or Google how to build a house doesn't mean you're going to have the knowledge but i think you know going back to the complacency thing people are complacent because they think everything's here well my thought is what happens when this goes away what happens when the internet goes away how am i going to google how to feed myself when you know the apocalypse comes i mean you can't right so I, I think it just comes down to just wanting to be a, a lifelong learner and, and following your dreams and your passion. Um, maybe the reason that some people aren't as passionate about what they're doing is because they settled, you know, like you, like you almost could have done, you know, with that job uh, previously is they settled because, well, the bill's got to get paid. The family's got to be taken care of. I can't, I can't afford to take this risk and jump off the cliff and try to build the parachute on the way down, even though I think I can do it. Right. Um, and, and unfortunately I think people just, you know, they hurt themselves in that, in that aspect until some type of situation comes up one day they learn. Um, and that's kind of what happened to me. I've done a lot of things. Uh, probably the, the longest stretch was I ran uh, retail stores um, like vacuum cleaner repairs and sales um, for a little over a decade. And it was six days a week, every, every week. Um, 
I would go in the evenings to the other stores and do the repairs. It was just nonstop work. Uh, but I, I always loved business, you know, so that's kind of what draw me to it. But I didn't have a life. My daughter was growing up. I got to see her on Sundays every other week. Uh, I was always working. And the guy that I was working for, you know, I'd work harder. He'd pay me less. I'd want, you know, some time off with the family. He didn't understand it because he didn't have kids. And, um, you know, one day I had a conversation with a really good friend, uh, Todd Muth. And he's like, Chuck, if you're not happy, you owe it to yourself to change that. And I don't know, for some reason, it just, it hit a, you know, it hit a chord for me. Um, long story short, before I made all the changes, I was getting ready to go fish with him early spring um, up on Tuscaroras River. And when I showed up, they were loading him in the ambulance. Oh, boy. And uh, Todd didn't make it to the hospital. Ugh. But I realized he was right. You know, and, and that's what I mean when I say, like, we don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow. So you owe it to yourself to freaking grab that bull by the horns and, and jump on. Regret is expensive. It really you know? is. I think that that's the thing, too, and why I try to do that for people. Um, as far as, I don't know if I want to use the word mentor, but you try to guide people a little bit, even though it probably really doesn't help me out. You know what I mean? Um, especially if it's not the right person or they have ill intent. But I think that I had people that said very simple things to me. Like Jim Fofford saying, you know, on a whole different level, you know, hey, I hope I see you enjoy a day in the lake. When you're 12 years old, 13 or whatever it was when you said that, I mean, I can't remember breakfast, but I remember that, I, but I couldn't understand it. And the same thing, I know a really good friend of mine when, when my business was kind of at that buster break point early on of like, okay, where am I going? What direction are we doing this? Are we going to make it? And he said, Ross, all the good ones work for themselves because if you're smart enough to, you're going to realize you don't want to make a millionaire for some guy that doesn't give a shit about you or that, you know, when you drop, drop dead, he's going to, you know, find somebody to replace you in a week. I mean, that, those, those lines and sayings, obviously they're, they're cliche a little bit, but they're very, very true. And the reason they stuck around is because they are true. So I think that, you know, a lot of my friends are what I would say not happy. And, you know, when I talk to them and they driving home from work or from a vendor or whatever, they're like, Oh man, just living the dream. And I'm like, truthfully, I would say most of the best fishermen that I know do not fish for a living. So it, it's not that you can or you can't based on your fishing abilities to me. I mean, with what we do, it's, yeah, there's a lot of things that go on there, but a lot of the best fishermen I know bar none. I mean, one of my really good friends, I mean, he's the best I've ever seen. I mean, he is, he's on a different planet. He's on a different level. It's like a Michael Jordan thing. Like you can practice all you want. You're not going to be Michael Jordan, right? Um, he just is gifted and just ridiculous, but yet he's got, he owns his own business though, you know, was working for someone and then said, you know, I, I ain't going to do this. So it's a different breed. It's a different thing. Um, but yeah, I think that even you don't have to necessarily be a business owner. If you people maybe would listen to this, or maybe you're a younger guy that's trying to figure out life or whatever, broke up with your girlfriend, but it, it's, it's not that you have to be your own, be happy, do what you want to do. Some people happy digging ditches, more power to you, bro. Some people want to, you know, run a fruit stand or, you know, work at a vacuum place. If that's what you, that's your passion, that's what you like. Um, I always tell people, I try to, I try to, I tell myself as much as I tell other people, 
hell, I fished for a living. That's kind of redneck. You know what I mean? So like a lot of people don't understand fishing for a living. So, uh, you know, to try not be judgmental on if somebody else's dream is to do X, Y, and Z, but um, just not to have regret. Exactly. You know, follow your passion. The thing that wakes you up before the alarm clock, because you get the opportunity to go and experience that that day, that's what you want to do. Don't worry about the money. The money will come. If you follow your passion, eventually the money will come. That is a line that I had heard a lot because, you know, the one thing that I did is, is my dad, too, had a lot of friends that were successful in life. And I don't mean that just by a bank account. And a lot of these guys, I listened to them, you know what I mean? Even though I was never going to get into what they were doing. I mean, one guy had a pool company, you know, for example. And, um, it, but when you, when, you, when you pay attention to the right people and you pick the right things out of it, you know what I mean? And you listen to the right things, I think you can learn an awful lot. And it, it definitely helps with that course. So I think people nowadays just think success is um, means just dollars, you know what I mean? Or how many right. followers you have on Instagram or something. And I don't think anything could be farther from the truth. And you are 100% right. I tell people all the time, I did not get into fishing for notoriety or for money. I got into it because I couldn't believe that I would have to wait till the weekend or maybe every other weekend to do it. And I'm fortunate that, um, you know, I have got those things, a little bit of notoriety and, and, and the business end of things has, has gone better than I could have ever imagined. Um, but at the same point, if it was straight about money, if I put my passion and what I believe is my skill set into another field, I probably would be exponentially more as far as what people think are the valuable things, whether it's a house or fiscal or followers on something. But I would have been miserable. Right. You know, and then so how long does that last? Like I said, a buddy of mine there that, that I turned that job down with, I'm not just trying to be like morbid or anything, but I mean, this guy had back 20 some years ago, had a, you know, multi-million dollar house on a really famous lake that was his vacation house. And here the guy commits suicide. It's like, you think you're happy until you realize that the things that you think are going to make you happy don't. And right. he had a great family. I mean, it wasn't no family situation. And so sometimes we just don't figure out these things till it's too late. And, you know, I, I'd like to think, fortunately, I've, I kind of had a little bit of a head of the curve because I listened to some of these guys where um, you have to be careful listening to people, though. For sure. Um, you know, they say you're a combination of the five people that you spend the most time with. So, you know, pick your circle wisely. Like you said, you have a small circle. Um, I have a small circle as well didn't always you know wasn't always that way but you realize along the way sometimes there's people in the back of the boat drilling holes when you're not looking you know mm -hmm. so you got to make sure you leave them at the dock and uh and just keep the the legitimate ones with you um and make sure they're you know hopefully smarter than you because that's how you learn you learn you grow um you talk about you know stuff like what we talk about i mean this is stuff that that we both grow from um, and and grow as as humans instead of like talking about oh well this person's cheating on this person or this guy is an alcoholic or you know leave that negative crap all it does is attract more negative yeah there, there's an old line and i actually i actually kind of it's a cliche thing but i was in the middle of it where it's a long time ago and a guy told me you know and he was a smart guy he said you know i'm the i'm the smartest guy almost every room i go in and uh a couple of my buddies who are just, I mean, they're smart guys. And, and I guess the definition of smart is a couple of different things for different people. But, you know, that old line of 
make sure you're not the smartest guy in the room because then, you know, same thing when they say, you know, you can't learn anything by moving your mouth. You, you learn by listening. Right. It's that same thing. I think that's just lost upon us now. It really is. Um, that's like, you know, like I had a, a young kid the other day that's trying to make it in, in the bass fishing thing. And he got a hold of me and I talked to him and he was asking me all this stuff. And I gave him some insight and I said, but I just I want you to remember this more than anything. I said, don't listen to what I have to say. And I said, because I'm either going to limit you or take you to a place that you're not willing to go. You know what I mean? And because when you tell somebody you're basing it on what you would do, and I may be willing to work a whole lot harder, maybe smarter or go longer, or maybe that's where you stop. You know what I mean? Um, because maybe that guy could be, you know, five times what I am. And I think that's why it's tough to, to listen to other people. If I listen to everybody from my financial people early on, my accountant or anything, they're like, dude, this is insane. What are you doing? You can't do this. There's nobody, there's nobody on the planet, not one single person, parents, I don't care who it is that would say that you could have gotten and did what I did. Like right. one, you, same thing with you. So. Yeah. I think it just comes down to knowing, you know, you, you listen to it all or you hear it all, but you only listen to some things, you know, some things, you know, like doubt when people doubt you, when they say it's impossible, you know, or that'll never happen. Or what if you run out of money, you know, or you, you lose everything. Um, that's the stuff you don't want to listen to. You know, too many times in society, we hold ourselves back as well as just society in general. When at the end of the day, if you just stick your shovel in the wall one more time, you're going to open up the, the cave of gold, you know, but too many people get so tired. They just turn around, they give up. Actually, you know, a funny thing, I, just, I learned a little while ago, an asshole. I didn't know what an asshole was. Okay. And so like people listen to this that don't know, cause I didn't, the definition of them is somebody that asks all the time, which I thought like I made sense, but the real definition is somebody that asks all the time, but that doesn't take the advice. And uh, I kind of have a problem with that. I have a problem with people ask all kinds of crazy questions nonstop and don't listen to anything. Right. But it, it's funny because I've got a really, really good friend of mine who people would know pretty well known in the industry. And we are very, very close friends and people don't know, like we have a really tight relationship and I'll sit down with him and tell him something going on. That I wouldn't tell anybody, Hey, I got this opportunity. I had a couple of really crazy business opportunities and on paper, they sounded crazy, you know, and I just had a gut feeling about him. I talked with him and when we got done, he goes, uh, like he said, yes. And I said, no, or whatever. Right. And he goes, you ain't going to do it though, are you? You know, even though, like he said, you know, you should do this or this or whatever. And, and, and individuals are irrelevant. And I go, yeah, probably not. And I, and I looked at him and I said, I'm surprised you still talk to me. And I said, man, I'm me and you've been buddies for damn near 20 years. And I said, every time you tell me you give me advice, I do damn near the opposite. And, and I said, you know, because a lot of people will get really pissed. They'd be like, well, what are you asking me for? But this is how you know that he's a good, not only good friend, but a smart guy. He said, man you ain't willing to do what I'm willing to do. Kind of like I just said. And he said, you're, you know, I'm not willing to do what you're willing to do. And he said, we're different people. Our skill sets, our personalities are different. And he said, I know why you're here. He said, you're talking out loud. You want somebody else that you can privately bounce things off of and, and work these things through your head. And I hope everybody has one of those people or can get one of those people. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your fishing buddy, but um, 
I think that's really true. And then when I found out about this asshole thing, I just thought it was funny is that the public perception is, is if you don't do what I say, you know, F you. And it's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And, you know, again, a person that I, literally I have been the biggest asshole to in the world and never probably done almost ever the same thing, you know, said, no, I get it, man. And it never questions, you know, never questions any of that. Well, I think that's because most, most of society is just crabs in a bucket, you know? So you go out crabbing, you have an open bucket, you throw two crabs in, you don't have to watch that bucket. They're going to keep themselves in there. When one crab starts to crawl out, that other crab grabs him and pulls him back in the bucket. Now the crab that pulled him back in the bucket, now he's going to try to escape, but that first crab is going to grab him and pull him back in the bucket. Um, same thing happens when you're cooking them. So they're basically going to force themselves to stay inside the boiling, uh, the, the water or the pot of water until they boil to death. And I talked to you the, good ones. The basis behind that is the crab doesn't want to see the other one get higher or succeed, you know, in theory. So they just force themselves, keep pulling them down until they both suffer. You know, and in society, if you look at that, most people, they try to kick your legs out from under you or they, they try to do something to bring you back down because maybe you're taking their excuse away or maybe they just it makes them feel bad about themselves instead of like your buddy who has the the brains um maybe that's not the right way to say it but but has the knowledge and and the the experience to say you know what i understand what you're trying to do here you're not going to listen to me i still want you to climb out of that bucket and and gain freedom so even though you're not going to listen to me i'm going to give you just give you a little push up. Chuck, you could be like a motivational speaker. Every time I talk to you, you've got a different little thing there that I've never heard of before. Crabs in a bucket. You ain't lying. That's, that's about the. And, and I'll tell you what, the fishing industry holds itself back. I hate to say it. And people always get mad at me. I mean, I'll get people after I do something that like, oh, you can't say that. And I'm like, actually, I can. And I'm going to. And everybody is so afraid to speak the truth that they allow a lot of scumbags to hang around number one but yeah we we hold ourselves back and, and i don't think it's just a fishing industry thing i mean like you said this is a life this is crabs on a fucking bucket but <laughs> but yeah it's just I, I know fishing so that's what i talk about and when i see it with whether it's another charter captain or uh, you know a manufacturer and it, it's it's just it's frustrating you know i just, i feel like fishing as much as it has advanced we still have not really done a whole lot you know what i mean like i think that the opportunities when i was 20 and like the professional walleye trails popping up i feel like there's there was more opportunities then for people but then on the same note as fishermen we have not helped ourselves and the stories that i could tell you for six hours on different tours and people and things and guys that i've had on my podcast that you know they didn't really put it all the way out there but they let people read between the lines where there's just a lot of anglers that have had amazing opportunities and they don't want to do what it takes. And I'm talking about, you know, again, making some pretty damn good money on things and just people just not wanting to work, man. 
that's why I, you know a lot of the companies I work with and they say, well, you know, we hire this guy because he's a YouTube guy. We hire this guy. I said, man, if you got a guide on there that's an established guide, I said, that's a hard work on SOB right there. I said, you, you can mold him into what you need him to do probably more than you can somebody that's sitting home once a week putting a YouTube video up. No right. time. Yeah, while they're going to their day-to-day job. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Which, again, I, I don't, I, I get shit all the time for that when I kind of bust on guys. And I say, man, I got no problem that you didn't take that. Or, you know, I if I would have had three kids or something at a young age and made other decisions with life or things that, you know, kind of just happened, that's one thing. Um, but I think at the same point, you, you can't, you can't make excuses for everybody. Like you still have opportunities if you really want to do things. Right. Now there's more opportunities. I mean, I, I guess as we're talking, I just, I'm thinking about the things in the, in the recent past for me of what people have come to me and said, Hey, basically, can you help me? Can you do this or that? And, you know, like a couple of guys were a, a very long story, very short. I had a bunch of guys come to me like, hey, how do you know how to do this? And they were referring to, you know, boat stuff and questions. I said, hey, I rig a boat every six months. Why don't you come by and help me out? I said, all that, all that shit's kind of heavy. You can help me out. You can be my, uh, well, you know, boat something. And help Perfect me. Opportunity. And you know what? They're like, uh, they don't nope. get it. They don't get it. You want to hear the funniest part of the whole thing? The guy that, the guy that took me up on it, a 65-year-old retired guy that was in uh, a data, uh, some type of tech or computer or whatever it was, right? And I just thought to myself, I'm like, here's a guy 65, in theory on cruise control, right? And he's the guy that just gets the relationship, you know, the learning something different. And he knows a lot, like, don't get me wrong. And in some places, he probably knows more than I do with doing that stuff. Um, but looking at it from a different angle, different things, um, again, relationships, man, awful lot of good times to have with somebody you're rigging a boat with. Right. And I, and that's lost on a lot of the people that just don't seem to, you know, to understand that stuff. I think, yeah, the internet and, you know, all these different forms of, uh, content kind of takes the emotional side of everything. You know, it's, you pick up a, a magazine or you open up a web page and you read the content, but you don't get the emotion. You don't get the connection. You know, if you're standing there rigging a boat with somebody, doesn't matter how many times you do it, there's going to be something that pops up that you're going to have to think through, you know, and that's where relationships get created and, and people really learn the most because, you know, now you're not just pulling from your own toolbox you have this other guy and maybe he doesn't have the experience that you have. Um, but he has that other way of thinking that maybe solves the problem, you know, and, and that's the type of stuff that you get from the, the hand to hand interactions or like when I go to, uh, or, or even you, when you go to speaking gigs, you know, and you give a presentation and you're able to spend a couple of minutes in front of somebody um, getting to know them and talking to them like that's so much more than just a podcast or an article or a video you know I, th- I think in today's society we get lost on that and I know you're a lot nicer than I am that's a compliment <laughs> but I mean being real I'm gonna see how open you're gonna be with me now I'm asking questions look at me trying to be a director but like that guy talking about pulling for the guy that worked hard when you have people with you because I'm going to tell you hundred percent, this is the case for me. And I see somebody there, all they're concerned with is getting a reel for Instagram. 
and they're done once we get a good fish picture they're, they're checked out done don't even get out of the seat for the day or won't cast if we're cast or whatever it is or there's times in my boat I, I kind of run the show for everybody and make sure everything's smooth and try to do things but yet there's times where i'm like i need help and people have fished with me before know like when i ask for help like i really need it you know maybe it's grabbing another net because i got one going and i got to get something out of whatever whatever it is and you get people that are like, oh, yeah, you, you go ahead and do that. Like, I check out. I'm not going to lie to you. And people, I don't care if they're mad. Because it's, have you had that when, you know, when you have somebody and you're like, you're just here for, I want you to enjoy things. And, and maybe your way of enjoying it is different than mine. But if you're only here for getting an Instagram reel to pose a situation right. and you're not enjoying the situation, you know, really what's going on, I'm kind of like F you a little bit. Yeah, I get that. You know, it's funny. People... People can be challenging at times, uh, especially like here's the situation. Guy hires you to take him out for a few days, um, maybe learn some offshore kayak fishing. Uh, not local, so he's he's traveling in maybe from half across, across the nation. And you take him out on day one and you get him to the spot where you were catching fish six hours later. And you, that's the starting spot for the day you know, chances are you're going to be able to catch fish there or you're going to be able to move from there and find the fish, you know, and we get to the spot and he's like, I'm not marking anything. I'm like, we just got here. You know, give it a second. The fish, the fish are here. I know they are. And when, when a client has that kind of doubt, it kind of screws them for the rest of the day. Because fishing a lot is confidence. You got to be confident that you're going to catch the fish. You got to be confident in all that. If you're indecisive and you're like, well, the fish aren't here. I don't care if I hired a guide and he says they're here. The fish aren't here. I don't care if I've never used my electronics, but I don't see fish, you know, and they always have the fish ID on also, which is Ooh. well, that, that right there, like, you got no street trap for that. I mean, fish ID means means I don't I don't even listen to anything that comes out of your mouth. You know, I I get them to turn it off and uh, and I try to I try to help them understand what they're reading because you can't you can't learn how to read a fish finder if your fish ID is on. You know, that's that's like the the stupid button. It, it's not. It's it's the fact that they even have it is like is stupid like i mean again i work with hummingbird and i would never ask them why they have that on there because i know there's 10 percent of the population that would flip out if they didn't what's it cost them to put it on there but it is absolutely beyond ridiculous right you know yeah i think i think a lot of people to your point where you started to go with that is a lot of people can't be guided you know there's people that either think they know way more than chuck does or they think they're smarter than you so they're going to figure it out even though they hired you to do that and it's funny because I, I go on, I wouldn't say a lot of guide trips, but, you know, when I fish in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic or Pacific or something, I'm not going to drag my own stuff there. And I, I don't know any, I'm not going to spend. So I hire a guide for the same reason people, you know, would hire me. And it's crazy. A lot of these guides know me, whether it's indirect or direct or because of manufacturers, you know, like there were Shimano or something. And we know all the same people or see at ICAST or something. And they're always mind blown that I'm like, okay, what do we need to do? And they're like, dude, you're a pro fisherman. And I'm like, I mean, I fish for walleye, smallmouth, and upper Midwest species. Like, you know, same thing. I like my bike, Pete Mania. Like, if we, I go fishing with Pete, like, Pete, what do I need to do? 
Like, I don't want to lose even one opportunity because I'm trying to reinvent the wheel. Like I have a legend in the boat or I have a guy that's the local know-how. And I see that a lot with me, people trying to reinvent the wheel. They want to do their own thing, even though they hired you. And I don't, they either have to learn it the hard way or they're people I just won't book again, or they, maybe they wouldn't book me, but there's a lot of people that are just not good clients from that point, but whatever. Producer always gets mad on my deal when I start going off on these tangents. It's like, why are you doing that? You're going to alienate somebody. Well, that's why we don't use any names, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I, the point is to not alienate or talk shit. It's to help understand. So when people, if they do listen to this, because a lot of my dad clients listen to my stuff or just people that are random to help you be better when you go on a trip, you know what I mean? Because like I do that. Um, a good example would be hunting trips. You know, I love going on waterfall and, and some different hunting trips and things like that. I try to make time for it. And I actually did one here just before the end of the uh, last year. And I was with guys that are legends, man. I mean, like, I don't I like the word legend, to be honest with you, because if you're still walking and talking and don't have a lot of gray hair, you're probably not a legend. But these guys like are absolutely insane. They're in a different planet of level of what they know. And, and I'm asking, hey, what do we, and they're looking at me like, Hey, if you're here, you shouldn't be asking that type of thing. Not really meaning it like that, but like, dude, you're good or we wouldn't allow you here. But with hunting stuff, it's the same thing. Like I, I don't, I want to make sure that I'm helping and not being part of a problem. You know, there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth. Dude, you are full of these things. You're like a one line machine. I love it. I'm going to have to write these things down because my memory of short term is terrible. But I have the crab in the bucket thing, though. That's that's going to get used, just so you know. Yeah. You know, back back around the time that I had that conversation with Todd Muth, I was uh, I was paying a mentor um, for some, you know, marketing classes. And I was just trying to expand the business that I was in. And the funny thing is, is I was paying a lot of money per month to do this. And the owner of the company instead of seeing it as a way to boost our business, he's like, oh, well, you're just going to leave me after you learn that. And, you know, things started going south, but that's where all that stuff came from and uh, kind of propelled me into just taking the leap, I guess. Yeah, I see that a lot in the fishing industry. You know, you're, you're probably learning that the more you do. I work with 18 manufacturers and you know, within that, there's a lot of friends, but there's also a lot of bosses. And then there's different people in these marketing positions or sales positions, you know, that we you know, literally work with on a weekly basis. And I see some of those people that are either there or above them that it's the same type situation. Like, dude, you're driving away a really good person here, or you're pissing somebody's off that, you know, that's working passion wise. Like you said, they're working off the clock on Saturday, or they're based on a 40 hour work week and they're doing 60, 70 and you're treating them like shit dude, you can't replace them people like that. You know, I mean, everybody's replaceable, but I would think, especially right now, you got, you got McDonald's paying 15, 20 bucks an hour. If I was up in Traverse city, not that long ago, it was 24 bucks an hour. Traverse city work for McDonald's. Wow. That's more, that's probably more than my sister made as a teacher for the first 10 years flipping burgers. Like, are you kidding me? You know? So, I mean, it, but again, that's a, it's an escalating problem. So world's crazy man that's why i just i'm trying to fish and go out there in that boat and enjoy it probably not going to get me out in the kayak in lake erie except for right off my channel here oh it's <laughs> it's gonna happen 
we're going to make that happen. Um, even but, even further. You don't even know, man. You don't even know because, you know, we both work with Fish USA and I'm pretty tight with them fellas and a lot of them guys. We, we've had some conversations and I'm like, yeah. they, they run a pretty big kayak shop there. Oh, yeah. We're going to make it happen. I got kayaks for you. Very comfortable, super easy. I even got a second Torquedo that's going on uh, one of my guide clients. So if you don't want to paddle, I got a motor. Nice. Um, nice. But I, I do have a challenge for you this winter. Everybody knows that I'll jump into the icy water with a dry suit. But I think we should get something, put it together, and get you in there. Let me, let me give you, I'm, I'm going to tell you a funny story. It just happened. So I'm speaking at the St. Paul Ice Show last winter. And I work for Clam. You know, they make a float suit, right? It's not a dry suit. It's a float suit. It's one of those like jumping or whatever. So my buddy Brian there, he is on all of the advertisements and the commercials you see of the guy that goes in and floats up the big guy or whatever. And he did that right after he got there. So when we're there and they got this big old like feed trough or whatever full of water in the middle of St. Paul Ice Show and there's these two kids jumping in. So a bunch of the guys won't say who they are, come over to me and be like, hey man, you be, you know, you kind of a character. Why don't you jump in there? I says, because I've been here long enough, I don't have to. It's called rank. You know what I'm saying? It's called clout. We get right. see, see the 20-year-olds jumping in there, right? I'm I'm not very smart with things that I do, Chuck, but I'm getting smarter. I'm trying anyhow. You gotta let the young guys do young guy stuff. Right. Yeah, I I agree. And um I'm still going to get you in the icy water, though, at some point. Hey, even even if we make it a big deal, do some kind of charity promotion, you know, and raise a bunch of money for somebody in need, you know, we'll make it happen somehow. I, you know, maybe what? not today, maybe yeah. not tomorrow. I I, I don't day. like to say no to things. Um, I'm always keeping open mind. No, no, and never is a long time, right? You never, maybe. We'll see. The right situation presents itself. You never know. I've done all kinds of stupid stuff. That I uh, go, what did I do that for? Some of them better than others. But... <laughs> right. Today's podcast brought to you by LakeErieKayakFishing.com. Come along with me and experience one of the best freshwater fisheries in the world while chasing monsters kayak fishing Lake Erie. We now return to the show. I have... I have a whole list of questions, um, which we're probably not going to get through them all. The first thing that I really wanted to know is what inspired you, who or what inspired you to get into fishing? You know, I think that a lot of the, what you would think would be easy questions don't really have an answer because I don't have a good answer for that. I think that I don't want to take credit away from anybody, but at the same point, I think I was just kind of drawn to that. And when you look at things like, okay, was there a guy that took me fishing one day and I just, oh my God, not really. Um, you know, my dad was big into hunting, you know, not that he didn't fish, but he, they were not the driver on that deal. And um, there's really not a great story. I think though, that for most people and why it's kind of a responsibility for what we do is, you know, when you take that person fishing, even if they don't have a crazy good day, they just need that opportunity to, to see if they like it or they don't like it. And you know, for me, I'm, I'm a very self-motivated dude. Um, like I, I didn't need somebody 
even then, like at a young age, you know, so there's not a great story. And, but then I started, I started aligning myself with those people. So, you know, I got a job at, at Netcraft, not with Netcraft, you know, today, but the original Netcraft. And um, I used to walk there after school and go package stuff up and things just escalated. And that's how I got to meet a lot of the guys that uh, still have a role in my, in my fishing today, believe it or not, or if, if not an active role, a, a mentor or just buddies, cause they're, truly uh big names in the game or at least were yeah i remember reading um a few of your biggest mentors were uh dave hansen um jim fofrich yeah how you say it fofrich yeah fofrich senior and uh gary roach um and one of the things that gary roach had said to you was uh no matter how many fish you catch, you still have to have the business thing going because you don't get paid to cast a line. Yeah, it, people, I, I traveled with Gary in my teens when I literally wasn't old enough to drive and then into my, uh, my young adulthood. And people all the time, when I say this, when they don't let me finish, they, they think I'm being disrespectful perhaps, but I didn't learn a lot about fishing with Gary Roche, which I learned a lot about life. I learned a lot about the fishing business. I was always asking him things that we can't talk about here because they were super confidential on his thing, but I'd ask him about this or that, or what happened to this or, and he would tell me about things that he did dumb. He'd tell me about things he got screwed over. He'd tell me about ways that people screw you over. And you know, that, that was, that information was invaluable because Gary's, he's one of those guys, he's an A or B guy, you know, but if you're on his team, he's going to tell you things that he's, otherwise would not probably say because it's not kosher or people afraid to say, or, you know, it's just maybe not, you got to be careful what you tell certain people. Right? right. But Gary was, I mean, don't get me wrong. I learned some fishing with him. Right. But we would always go on trolling bites. That's why he would always, that's why it just worked, you know? And that was kind of my deal even early on. And what I, you know, cause that's what we had to do here and that he hated it. He freaking hated it. So it was like a match made in heaven and I soaked up this crazy amount of stuff. And, and the list is much longer than Dave and, and Jim, but those guys in particular, whether they knew it or not, they, they laid the groundwork, no doubt. I wish I could be a fly on the wall on those days. You know, I've always been infatuated with business. Um, that's kind of what led me into the vacuum industry because I, I've rebuilt engines. I've always been mechanical, fixing things, homes. Uh, giant injection molding machines. I've just had so many different facets. Um, but the business has always been my passion, even as a kid. And that's why the vacuum industry worked for so long. Uh, but you get shit on enough times, you get tired of building somebody else's wealth, you know, and uh, I don't know. It's just, it's really cool to have somebody that's going to teach you the fishing industry, the business part of it, because that's not information that's readily available. Well, I, th I think occasionally, I, you know, we all run in, forget, this doesn't even have, you could almost remove fishing from this. Occasionally we run into somebody and we go, how in the hell does that guy put his shoes on in the morning? You know what I mean? The guy, but he's uber successful. Maybe it's a name guy or something, but you're like, man, this guy's kind of a goon. But reality is, is I've been around enough people. And it's funny because like producer dude that, that runs my media, he, um, when we get done doing a podcast, you know, like Al Linder is one of them. I remember as soon as we hit end, he said to me, he goes, 
I absolutely know why he is an absolute legend of 40, 50 years or whatever. He's like, that guy was on a different planet for even what he did for us. You know what I mean? And him doing my thing means nothing. I mean, it's amazing that we have that relationship that he did. But when you see people in different circumstances, and I, and I fortunately have quite a few of these people that I'm either friends with or acquaintances or communicate with, whatever the, the, the thing may be, when you watch them, you're like, I know why this guy's where he's at. Like, do this guy's on a different level. And the same thing, like, when I do media events, typically it's mainly bass guys because, well, I guess I haven't figured this whole thing out yet. And when I'm at a media event and I watch a guy cast that's not even a top 50 guy, and I'm like, holy shit. You know what I mean? You're watching these guys. And I can remember Shin Fakai. I did a media event with him, like, 15 years ago. And he could barely speak English. I mean, literally it was like a bad movie you know, it was like some chris tucker deal and his wife was communicating the whole time and he made a cast i think we were on table rock lake and he was going through the, all those steel cables that they got there for those big long docks and i'm just like like how's he going to get it out of there let alone if he gets a fish on and he looked at me he's like whoa whoa what 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 and his wife was like well, what's the problem i'm like i was like I i've never seen a cast like that in my life and he literally looked at me and he goes oh no kvd i practice more like true story you know what i mean and, and so people think they're good and then they see somebody that's good and you're like oh. and you know i think that's why we work on our craft but uh i don't know that's cool seeing somebody that's really really good at what they do right so you had mentioned that early on trolling was your thing and well i well, can't me, remember yeah let me, let me stop you there when i first got going I made my name by casting. That's what guys nowadays, I'm like, you want, you want to put some money on the table, boys? Because trolling, when I first started, like the planer board companies, they, they weren't even there, right? So, so trolling meant big boards. Those guys didn't go till later because you got to go mock 10. So they weren't doing March, April. Like that was a whole different game. I, I rolled into that into my early adulthood. But when I was a kid, and I guess you'd call it early adulthood, but still probably a freaking kid, like casting was how I got a spot on the boat. When I worked for Jim Foffers, my job was to catch fish. My job was to show people, you know, to find out the count for the day. You know, like that was, I was a grunt. I was a boat washer. And so like, even when I fished in tournaments with guys, cause those were all casting tournaments back in that thing. Like to earn that spot as one of the four or five people on that team, like, and then even to have the spot within the boat, you know, the best swing spots or whatever. It was straight up just like football or anything else. It's like there's no trials, but there's tryouts. You know what I mean? So that casting thing was there's no doubt how I was even able to get to that next thing. But I was smart enough to know like, hey, this trolling deal, this is going to take off. And hey, this is a whole lot better. Like when we I know people don't like it, but if you want to look at there's days you want to look at the bottom of a a white cooler that's cool i'm not that guy i want to do what's i don't want to use a hand drill i want to use a power drill you know right. what i mean life's too short like you said I, I want to be efficient and i want to do within reason what is the best thing to do most of the time so right. sorry to jump you on that but yeah cast i get people all the time i'm like dude you don't want to cast with me i'll screw you up I'm i forget what article i read it in but you had mentioned something about uh, zebra mussels having a major impact on trolling and uh, and making that more prominent, um, which I'm assuming that's that's because they're cleaning up the water and making it a little more clearer. Uh, so I just wanted to I wanted to hear your insights on that. 
Well, the fisheries biologists will all tell you that zebra mussels are bad because they're invasive and we don't know the long-term effects. That's their like standard like puppet line or whatever, which I get. It's just like, you know, you eat something and you go, hey, this is amazing and, you know, do this. And then you find out it causes cancer 10 years later. I mean, when me and you were kids, right, they're like, no, margarine's the best for you. Now they tell you butter, depending on who you talk to. Right. So I think that, I don't know, I just, things have changed so much. It's just hard to gauge and put the old with new. Mm. Interesting. You know, I've I've thought about it many times and not really in that way. Just, you know, when you're out on the wake, especially if you're out by yourself, you know, pre-fishing for a trip or something like that, there's so many thoughts that are going through your head. And when I look at trolling, I look at the style of bite. Obviously, it's a reaction bite. Um, if you're going fast enough, that fish really doesn't have very much time to make the decision. Dinner's leaving, you're biting or not. You know, whereas casting, generally it's a little bit slower presentation. Generally, it's it's more of a feeding bite. Um, and I think the fish have a little bit more time to think, is that really dinner? Doesn't really look right. You know, whereas you're coming by with trolling baits, maybe with a little scent down there or something, and they look up and they're attracted, they come in, and as they're coming in, they get a whiff of that scent, boom, fish on. Maybe, maybe you didn't hook up. Mm. I feel like just the, the faster presentation just kind of takes the opportunity for the fish to make a decision. Um, I, I would just... For me, it's not a speed thing because I guess digging in deeper to your question. To me, it's not really a speed thing because I look at big white boats and they're like, oh, you're a troller. And I'm like, I'm watching you drift past me right now. And you got eight rods and rod holders and your guys are sitting on the engine cover. Whatever, bro. <laughs> Call right. it what you I fish much, much slower than most guys. Now, when the water's 80 degrees and this and that, like, you know, we do things different. But a lot of the, the guys that are really good, my buddy, the late big head, guys like John Gilman, those guys, we all fish are very similar. And I think the difference between trolling and casting would, would be that our baits are in the strike zone longer because we're not doing, you know, the where the, it's in the strike zone for 15, 20% of the time. And then also that we're just using more lines. You know, right now we can use three in Ohio compared to year one you know maybe you're running a drag line or something but more educated lines in the strike zone longer but i guess if you want me to dig deeper into like the zebra thing is we just don't know i mean you know it made it easier for those to see but then also maybe it makes it they're where they're more spooky it also has pushed you know we are i just had this conversation with one of the companies i work with where the the fish are much deeper in the water column than they used to be so again not to be a tree hugger but when you start catching fish 25, 30 feet down, mortality rate, like those fish don't get released real good, man. Where we used to catch them 5, 10 feet down. So you can play it back and forth a million ways. And that's why, like, when somebody asks me, like, what's the lure you use or how do you fish? Like, dude, when you ask these open-ended questions and then some things that are just open-ended when people don't even realize it, you know what I mean? Because there's so many factors. And I try to dig into it and, and say these things not to be an asshole, but to more of like try to, to explain to people that this is chess and we're always playing checkers. Right. It just, it, there's, cause there's so many, so many variables with what's going on that, you know, you, you correct one thing, but then you cause 
by doing that, you cause five other things. It may be better, maybe worse, right? Right. So I guess I just have to go back to the same thing. People, the same thing with the gobies. Oh, gobies are amazing. Well, he had a small mouthful of eating gobies, but they're eating eggs. They're doing this. They're, there's so many things that we don't know until we're probably too far in and, and we can't control it, unfortunately, anyhow. Right. I mean, look, look at the, the, the word. I, it's not as much of a buzzword anymore, like so many things that, you know, get thrown out there because of fake news or whatever. But, you know, the Asian carp, like occasionally you hear something here and there about them. But five, 10 years ago, if you if you looked at headlines on anything, like it was over with. It was game over. So right. not saying that they, that can't, you know, can't still be a problem down the road, but I don't know. There, there's so many variables. I don't try to act smarter than I am or understand that this is such a huge ball of wax that you just can't ever really get to the core or know if you are when you're there. Right. That's interesting. It, you know, you definitely have to keep an open mind, um, which kind of leads me into my next question. You know, I, I always laugh when somebody say, well, you can't, you can't jig for walleye in the summer or, you know, it's 78 degrees. The walleye are not in 15 foot of water, you know, just, just little, little nuances where people put a label on something and they're like, it's impossible. But the fact is to be consistent, you have to take those things that most people think are impossible and do it because that's the only thing that might work for the day. So I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, what are your thoughts about, the the so-called rules when it comes to fishing pandora's box right here brother i think that <clears throat> there's times i'm definitely close-minded um, but again as a guide or as ross the guy that fishes for 18 different manufacturers or whatever it is now um i think those are two different things because a lot of people are like oh why do you keep doing this I get, and I even got clients all the time and, and you don't want to be like, um, because you're on kindergarten level and you can't cast a bait caster or you can't cast a spinning rod. And so I'm doing what I'm doing to make your day successful because ultimately I'm judged on what you do. Right. Like a teacher, like, and, and if the kid's going to sleep in class, you know, but the teacher's being judged by that on the flip of that, I'll tell you the thing that I, I don't live on social media. I, I, Again, I'm sure people I work with don't clip out here, but I don't, I don't live on that. I don't base my things on it. You see about 1% of what I'm doing. Okay. I don't pick, post pictures of 400 fish on the floor of my boat, but maybe once or twice a year, because that's probably all we got for whatever reason. It's just my choice because I, I, I don't, I don't think everybody needs to see everything. You know what I mean? And part of that is I spend an awful lot of time experimenting with stuff okay aside from trolling or trolling stuff i have even though i work with some amazing manufacturers and i'm not gonna lie to you i don't really have to buy stuff you know what i mean but i still will buy things that are just new things or this or random if i see something to try it you know i tried one of these example would be the a rig i thought the alabama rig for walleyes and i have used it in about four million circumstances now i'm not going to tell you it won't work in some circumstance but I need something that isn't a blue moon success. I need something that at least one out of three times that I pull that out there, it's going to be good. Because if not, it's getting shelved. Right. Reality. No, rather that's because for me, again, this is not you guys or maybe even you, Chuck, but for me, I either have clients, real, real talk, or I have promotional stuff. So I got producer dude, or I have the guy from Sims and we're shooting something or doing something with meat eater. They need results. Right. Real talk. In my own personal, 
I can tell you, like me and Country Steve, if you guys know Country Steve, everybody knows Country Steve. Me and him have gone out, particularly during the COVID, you know, pandemic or whatever you want to call it. And we went out like four or five days. We didn't catch hardly anything. And we were trying stuff. And it was the hardest thing ever. And if I wouldn't have had him there, there's no way. Because he would just occasionally look at me. And I know a different country, Steve, than you guys all know. And he'd be like, dude, what do you need to catch another 10 wallies? Is that going to make you feel good about yourself? He's like, we're going to learn this. And we, and, we, and we fed off of each other of basically our, you know, lack of success by trying all kinds of new stuff. And there's a lot of things that I have been able to develop that I don't want to say I don't get credit for, but probably a lot of people don't know you know, that I, that I kind of got going, like calibrating reels is one of them. 25 years ago, no one knew what calibrating a reel was, you know, and then I just decided once things started popping, hey, I'm going to make this public um, 100%. And there's a lot of things like that, that, and again, some of them, I, I don't even like saying it like that, because again, I, I don't know if there was another guy that was doing the same thing and just wasn't talking about it, right? So I don't want to be that. But there's a lot of things that I do that have success. And then again, you don't need to talk about everything. But most of these things, you know, they aren't successful. And it's, it's funny, though, that when they are, and good examples would be when clients that are really good fishermen, like I've got clients that are state champions of, for walleye, like in different states, you know, they have like the Nebraska state championship, like they actually have that. We don't really have that per se here. And those guys that have won that three or four times, you know, I have guys that, that fish with me. And, and when they take some of the tactics, some things that we do, and they put them out there, you'd be amazed at how much success that they have because just nobody did it. And so I'm always looking for that thing here. And it's surprisingly because our body water is so different that I don't think that there's a, has been a magic bullet, to be honest with you. Um, if there was, it's been so long ago and I'm always trying to find that thing, but like spinners, I mean, I learned that with Gary Roach and specifically really Dave Hansen even before that, where I was winning a lot of stuff opens back in the day, like killing it early on. And I was fishing spinners slow when nobody was doing, they didn't know how to. And, and it was a modified version of what I had learned from those Minnesota boys. And I don't think that we've had that kind of transition for a while. The previous time when we did would be like salmon stuff. You know, look at the charter cabins are right, out here right now. What are they doing? They're pulling wire, copper, lead core. And okay, that's a salmon thing. We understand that. Do you understand that a jet diver is as salmon as they get? Lure Jensen, like, Dipsy diver, as salmon as you get, you know, all these things were, nothing was walleye fishing. Everything was salmon that was really brought over. And the same thing, like with the spinner deal, that's a totally different deal that we brought here. And I, and I guess I'm always looking for that thing. And I have wasted a tremendous, I can't say wasted, but I have spent a lot of inefficient, you know, I, I've a lot of time that I haven't had success and it's tough as hell doing something where, you know, this probably isn't going to work. But just trying to, to go through the paces and learn things, you know, right now that would be like using maybe mega live is, is an indirect example of that, of, you know, live sonar, spending a lot of time to become better and know, hey, this is going to play a role. I can't get left behind. Right. Yeah, I think that the key is to just constantly keep learning. I mean, the difference between being good and great is, you know, somebody like you willing to try this stuff, even though the chance of being successful is very, very low, maybe, you know, um, that's what, that's what uncovers the secrets, I believe, you know, because you're out there and you're like, what, 
what's going on? Your senses are honed in. You're focused on everything, the rod tip, the way the lines work and the way the presentation's working. You're trying, you're trying to find that one thing to make that thing successful, right? Or, or maybe pinpoint why it's not. Those are the most valuable days on the water, in my opinion. But do you know, again, here I am going to be a little pessimistic, but why I don't think a lot of that has happened as much. I'm one guy, right? Right. I don't think, I think there's so many people now and other good fishermen, because I talk to these guys, hey, hey, let me give you a few of these. Even guys that work, you know, with me. I give, hey, here, take these baits and try them. You know, a week later, that's part of my gig is trying things out. 90% of them aren't going to work. Um, but that 10% that do become 10%, 10%, 10% become the thing that we're all using and doing now, right? Right. I mean, there's good examples of things like flicker minnows and bandits and stuff that were not doing well on the market. They did, they, they were not selling. Nobody would use them. Now look at people won't not use them. Right. And so it's just crazy to me how everybody's waiting on Chuck or Ross or somebody else to tell them what to do per your thing earlier on a, uh, whether it's a podcast or it's on a YouTube video, they, they will do nothing until somebody tells them they're sheep. And, you know, you need a, a controlled amount of experimentation in your fishing. Like, I don't expect somebody to do as much as I do. I fish so much more than, I mean, that's just common sense. But at the same point, I don't think anybody is willing. And, and there's, I won't say names. I mean, that would be really, really fun if I did. Guys that you know, but I tell them all the time, hey, let's try this. Let's do it. And they're just like, ah, let me know how it works out. I'm like, you know, you're going to be the last person I tell because you're you're on the water seven days a week and, and you don't want to put any time in to, to try something different because one of my best friends in, in fishing, I always tell him, I'm like, what am I missing? We, it's a joke when we have these phone calls all the time. What am I missing? What, what's the next thing? You know, what, what do I got to do? I tried swim baits. You know, again, not that they don't catch them, but the consistency and just the way our water sets up, it's just not good. Um, you know, I get people all the time from Minnesota like, well, we really want to jig and, you know, we're coming in June. And I tell them, I think you should find somebody else because it's not that we can't catch fish in June, but you're already trying to impart what you want to do and you don't know what needs to be done. You know what I mean? Right. So all those things are kind of an indirect thing of, of the same big picture and that you have to control experimentation. And I think the toughest thing about experimentation is, is you don't do it when the bite's dead. You got to do it when it's good. And that's right. really, really hard. So it's the same thing. If a guy wants to jig fish, don't come here in June because you need to come in March, maybe April, even though our jig bite to me is marginal in the window and all that good stuff and everything. But you, you need to do it when you need to do it. You, you can't make the time up. And I think that's the same thing. If I'm trying swim baits and I make five casts in a time where I can't catch them on doing what we normally do, you can't really write that off. So why even try it? Right. But again, Alabama rig, please somebody out there, hopefully somebody's listening to this and they try it or they know something that I don't. I wore that out trying different ways and it just, walleyes are like, no. Why do you think that is? They're spooky on stuff. You know, I mean, I had it where they even were shut down the whole side of the boat, like when we were trolling. I don't know. I think I'm smart enough to know that that's why when I, I try to be real with people, I get a lot of shit from, you know, because I'm trying to tell them like, Hey, I don't know everything and this and that, or don't ask me this because, because people just want answers when there's things that 
we don't really know to be honest right. I mean, there's so many things that like people will give you an answer and they say it like definitively and like with you know mm, broad shoulders doesn't make it right <laughs> right that's why you know so many of the times when we're doing seminars and stuff the things that i want to cover are the things that i can definitively say and they're whether it's calibrating reels or this or the things that you, you can say that they work every day you know one of the lines that I use in seminars is I like to educate and talk about things that I know I can get you to implement and do. And then I'm a hundred percent confident and make a difference where if you, that's why when somebody asks me, what color bait or what bait should I use? That changes so damn much. And is so subjective that it's like, why would, why do you even have a conversation unless you're just trying to sell tackle, which is part of what we do, but I think you can do it in a more responsible way. Right. Let's talk about, uh subsurface currents what do you do other than obviously the fish hawk um what do you do to sense the current conditions and how do you adapt fish hawk is a naughty tool i mean it's, it's a very long story but anybody who watches my stuff knows that i wrote a book like i don't know maybe 12 or 13 years ago now and i modified a fish hawk and the owner of Fishhawk saw that in the back picture and called me up and he was half laughing half angry i think I think his exact words were, couldn't you just use it as how it was? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. And um, we went to work and, you know, we, we, it was at least two years, I would say maybe about two and a half in reality of, of, to get that project together. And keep in mind that, you know, Fishhawk already existed. So we were using a lot of the same componentry um, to, to make that remote and just explain to him, you know, what needed to be different for the way that we do things, whether it's a kayak or, a, um, you know, walleye style boat, but, with without a fish hawk it's like trying to use a sundial to tell the time yeah you can do it but why would you just not look down and be like boom this is what it is because we have so many different types of current that people don't realize where you know when I, I live up on a channel here it's blowing about 30 out of the looks like west right now and you know it pushes water out well people up in you know cleveland or canada or whatever depending on the direction don't you know have water up in their back yards so what happens is that whole level lifts up and then you have a return flow that goes underneath it's called a, a reverse sight i think is how but don't quote me on that one but at any rate so you got a return flow so the current now when you're going one way in different portions of the water column it's gonna be like a river going back the other way like crazy so, you know you think to move those billions of or trillions of gallons of water on how much that that, that takes so um i look at that because anything else i know i'm just guessing I'm always hesitant to follow this up with the other stuff because most people just aren't going to be able to do it. You know what I mean? Because it's just, I do it every day and I kind of have a niche, you know, niche for it. Um, there's things watching rod tips, watching angles, watching boards. You know, I used to carry a shorty rod, little five foot rod or whatever, and I'd have a lure on it. And I would put it on both sides of the boat and you could see, but again, that's what I'm seeing on the surface. So my, I don't have anything on the surface. We're not, we're not buzz baiting for these things. So my lures that are 10, 15, 20 feet down, it, it doesn't really do it. That's the advantage of the fish hawk. We put the probe where the lures are at. Right. So all the other things help me. And then I would course correct. Um, I always say, I've said this a million times if I've said it once, the best captains that I know, and I don't talk to many of them, but if I ask them, hey, what's your heading? If I call them the first thing, if I say in three seconds, they don't have to look 172 or whatever it is, 45. They know exactly what their heading is because they're staying on that line because that's allowing everything to work. So 
everything else we're doing is just a better guess. And that's why the fish hawk is so important, especially with, and again, you guys, well, I'm not going to fish under these circumstances or these circumstances. When it's flat ass calm and you're in the central eastern basin, occasionally in the western basin even, that's the time you need it the most because anybody, when I say this, has gone west to east, caught the dickens out of them, especially you, you, you can't pick up, right? So you, you go back through, you're like, man, we just caught 10 fish in there in short order. You go back through, never touch one. Then you're like, well, maybe they moved on me, but well, we got to give this another, we got to give this a little bit. So you spin back and go just catch the dickens out of them again. Well, it's probably a speed thing. It's probably that also causes then a location in the water column, because if you got weights on or anything, you're too high, too low, whatever it may be. So again, the other things I'm always hesitant to say, except for to buzz over them quickly, because there's such minute things that the average guy is probably not going to see it. I don't care how experienced you are. Most people just aren't. And then also their, their variables within that are so much that it's like a sundial, right? So right. putting that probe, um, to my knowledge, there's nothing like the fish hawk. Where, where do you put that probe where the lures are actually at? Because if you're going and you have that situation like we talked about, think about those channels. You can walk across the marina full of mud. The next day, you know, all of a sudden it's back, but it usually takes a little bit of period of time and for that return flow. So if you're fishing bottom monsters or you're fishing on the bottom, it's doing totally different things than what you think it is. And it's not like that there's some hard line there that it's here, here, here. You know, things are being affected above that within there. The pocket current that we get, especially in the central basin is crazy. Where you actually, you, for people listening to this, they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Where you have waves that are literally in the trough and they're pushing one way and waves are going the other. And you're like, how's that even possible? And then you go pick up and you're heading on the way in or whatever, five miles away. And it's exactly the opposite. And you go, the waves were coming this way from like, how's that even possible? That's current. It's nasty. It's strong. Um, I've seen current seams like in the Gulf of Mexico that look like a river in the middle of nowhere. We're literally just like, it's flat calm, flat calm. And it's like some like Jesus stuff going on here where it's just this, giant you know let's say one or two foot waves where there's current seam is just hauling and it'll spin your boat right in circles wow crazy stuff man yeah the challenging thing is on a kayak there's really not a good place to put a fish hawk i mean with the x4 it's a little bit smaller more compact right so i think i think x2, it would fit a little yeah. better x2 or x2 yeah that, that um, was the whole point is that you, you could you could put it on a kayak and we've actually even considered you know the mounting options for that and that's why everything's portable everything's battery you don't have to have any hardwired you could take it on and off which is obviously rather you're trailing at home or whatever um it's it's pretty easy well maybe that's the next step you know i i focus on the rod tips i focus on the action i don't i mean i'm I'm no expert, you know, on, on current and the way that it works, especially with not having a fish hawk down there. So it's, it's really just educated guesses, you know? Yeah. That rod tip looks right. I think my bait's working at the right speed, you know, it's picking up fish. It's not picking up fish. Maybe the bite's hot. Maybe it's not. The biggest challenge with me is I'm, I'm limited to three lines. So even on a pre-fishing day, I can't load up the boat, you know, and run 15 different baits. I'm still limited to those three lines. And most of the time it's just two because I throw out three lines 
and I'm dealing with tangles and all that stuff. And then how productive are you? Because your lines are out of the water most of the time. You just you know, sent me back another five years from walleye fishing in a kayak. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe I'll go small mouthing with you or something in it, you know. Oh no, we're going walleye fishing this winter. Man, January, when the boat ramps freeze and all the boat guys are sitting on shore, that's the best time to fish. We launch from the uh from the beach, get out there safely obviously um and and in those conditions the most important thing to remember is coast guard lorraine is shut down all the boat ramps are frozen over so who the hell is going to come rescue you you better be prepared for that right but kayak lets you do that you know like last year uh from january 1st to january 15th i had uh four fish ohio's myself just in a 15 day period um, and probably no fish under 26, 27 inches. You know, you know, the, the big ones come out when everybody stops fishing. I mean, not purposely, but there's no $100,000 boat to compete against or no. compete for. Less knuckleheads out there and less boat traffic. It, trust me, that makes a difference. People will say it doesn't run over a pond four or five times and then let me know how that works out. Right. You know, that's the other nice thing about a kayak is we're very stealthy, you know, so you're not necessarily spooking the fish when you go over. Uh, even with my electric outboard, with my torpedo, it's very quiet. You know, you don't you don't have those fish that are moving out or moving down in the water column because you're spooking them with your your boat, you know, and your big outboard. One thing that you like to say is uh, fishing conditions versus fishing memories. Let's dive into that a little bit, because I know a lot of people, they're real big on keeping logs. Um, and and I think there's there's a lot of value in that uh, because you can pinpoint what's going on, at least in that current situation, uh, because what you focus on expands. Right. Um, but with that being said, a lot of times we go out there and we fish old waypoints uh, with the anticipation of, you know, the bite being the same or the situation being the same. But one thing that you like to push is, you know, fishing actual conditions versus fishing past memories. E easy to say, tough to do. So quick story to answer that. I had a three boat trip with a group because, yeah, I've been, these guys have been fishing with us for a long time. And just like always, my group of guys, the one is just always dinking around. And so we probably launched 15 minutes later, thanks to the porta potty and everything. than these other guys, they go out. And so, again, like I'm, you know, I'm driving out there and I don't get half a mile off the boat launch and my graph just lights up, but it lights up right. You know what I mean? So it's like putting a lot of things together. The, the screen's just not blowing up. They're not all on bottom. Just little things that I'd like to think that I have a fairly good handle on. Normally, I would never fish there because, again, as I was, I was telling the guys that were with me, because they're like, what are we doing? And I'm like, we're going to make a quick pass in here. Aside from the gas, you know, gas situation, like this, there's nobody here. Like, you know, because I always start later and everybody just about. And so like everybody that was going to do the thing had done their thing just during the week. I could see my truck and we were smashing to the point. Yeah, I called the boys and I'm like, well, how you doing? Well, we're, we're doing okay. Those fish kind of moved a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I think I know where they moved to, right? At least I know where some of them did. 
and they couldn't they couldn't believe it and, and truthfully i don't like doing that because like if i was going there being brutally honest the next day with a wrapped boat or whatever and start in the morning like dude it's over with you know what i mean there's gonna be five thousand boats there but i pay attention to my electronics my clients all the time are like man i watch your videos you never stop talking but you know when i'm driving that boat my idea is my success is made when i'm going in and out because a lot of my fish are found on my way in for the next day or on the way out, I realized like, Oh, things changed since yesterday. Like you said earlier, I'm in deep duty here. Okay. Now we got to start go looking or, Hey, I saw this happen. Or I'm looking at the water clarity change and all those things, because these are all the clues that guys are always eating sandwiches, talking, uh, not watching what's going on when you're driving to me, that's actually when the fish are caught or not caught because that's set up, you know, knowing that you're not on the edge of the fish, you know, taking that time to, to set up the situation is, is huge. And those are the things, again, get glassy eyed guys. And when you're in seminars and talking to walleye clubs, cause they're still wanting to hear about what kind of color crank they, but those two or three people that are always the ones that go, Hmm, it's always that the guy that, that uh, you know, is the club president that comes up and be like, Hey, Bob and Jim are really talking to you. Those are the best fishermen in our club. I'm like, I already knew that. And they're like, well, how do you know? That? I said, because everyone else wanted to know what color crankbait we're using. And these guys wanted follow up on what I feel are the most important things to actually catch you more fish consistently. Because if I was to tell you chrome purple today, it means nothing this afternoon. It means nothing tomorrow or the next day. But those other things on the setup and trusting your electronics, having your stuff set up properly. And that's, that's, the, that's the, as consistent as you can make yourself by, by paying attention to those things. Yeah, setup and preparation is probably the most important thing. Um, you, I think I read, you can actually read your graph while you're going like 25 mile an hour, right? I would, I would argue you can do it at 40 if the conditions are right. I would argue that I don't go much over 32, 34, depending on the, on the water conditions, uh, clarity and, and roughness or waves or whatever you want to call it but 2025 is is probably um more more it's less efficient because you're not covering as much but it's more of seeing what's really happening and not missing if that makes sense right so but yeah that's my game again I learned that from Dave Hansen and uh, and the old roacher when they were using an old school flasher a silent 60 which is a whole different story for another day but uh, yeah i mean that that technology has been around it's just about four thousand times easier to use um where it's so user friendly now that people that don't that don't pay attention to that are just they're knuckleheads yeah i've always heard that uh that you have to go slow to to get an accurate reading on your fish finder obviously i'm sure that has a lot to do with the way that it's set up and uh you know uh-huh. you're What's that? Hundred percent on setup. I mean, I yeah. if, you, if you were to just go, you want to hear some funny comments? Go through some of my YouTube stuff or the different places where we will post a picture up, and the guy like, "Oh, that you got a secret setting in seminars." I mean, you were at a seminar I was at where you know one of those guys oh. was, oh, "You got secret settings," and uh, it, it's just it's one of those deals where people think that there's something special going on, and that's not the case. It's it's all in the setup, the way it's powered, the transducer location. It's, it's so easy to talk to you on a podcast or, or in person, you know, a lot of times I have the script that I go through with a bunch of questions and I'm, I'm usually pretty good at keeping up with it, but, uh, we didn't, we didn't really cover any of that stuff, but a lot more 
random. But, yeah, it's, it's a great episode, but uh, we'll just save that stuff for later. Um, one thing I definitely want to touch on, um, I want to give you the opportunity to, you know, talk about your sponsors, the people that help you make this possible. Yep, well, we can finish with that. That's a good one. Um, so, you know, I think that the sponsor thing is something that is new and evolving. Everybody's trying to figure it out. But I think that, again, not picking on the young kids, but I get them all the time. They're like, hey, what do I got to do to get sponsored? And I think that kind of simply put, I mean, again, I, I truly don't want this to come across as arrogant, but you've got to put yourself in a situation that you're valuable for them. And I don't think most people put themselves in a situation where they're valuable. They just think, Hey, I, I, I won this tournament or I did this. And, and that doesn't sell anything for fish USA. That doesn't, you know, put Sims clothing on somebody. So I think you got to have credibility as a fisherman and then credibility as a person, which a lot of people have one, maybe not the other, maybe they ain't got either one. And there's a lot of guys that are really good fishermen that don't run a business end of things. And so rather it's the stuff that we're doing right now, like, you know, for me to, to do Chuck's podcast, does that get me anything? You know, people go, well, hey, I need to be paid to be on Chuck's podcast. Whatever. Those are all things that, you know, because you do a lot of these things. I work outdoor life, field, you know, field and stream, meat eater, da, 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 and fisherman. These are things that you do that indirectly are why you're able to be sponsored by a company A, B, and C, because you're out there representing their brand, you're getting things, you're, you're building your own brand at the same time. But then within it, you have to make yourself, and for every person, it's going to be different is what is, is, you know, like I'm working on a sponsorship deal right now that has been in the works for 12 years. Wow. Literally the guy there said, there's not that many people even been in our, you know, within our, our department that long and things just weren't right. You know, they had people where for the, the structure of the deal, I mean, obviously compensation and things, and they had other people in there that just, it just wasn't going to work. And now things have aligned and. And I'm, I'm a better guy now, 12 years later, from a business standpoint, I may not be a better fisherman, but I'm a better, I'm able to better do things. You know, I design a lot of products, all of these things that make me valuable to company A, B, and C, you know, um, I do a lot of stuff with Fish USA behind the scenes that I won't say, but that is, they feel very advantageous to them. And most anglers probably don't even look at that as something that's advantageous, you know, so you have to find your little niche and what your thing is. And it's just amazing though, that I can tell you like a, a very short story for, for the guys that are asking these questions are out there. Sometimes it's the really simple stuff. A, a company that I work with, let's just say has 30 some people and their pro staff. Um, and, you know, they send an email out asking for, I mean, you don't need producer dude for, I mean, really, really simple cell phone stuff. And they only had two people respond. I was one of them that set back those other people's if there was ever to be an option with that company, because, you know, there's people that can't even invoice thing. I mean, crazy, simple business things, forget fishing. These are simple business things and, and follow up and responsibility and all those things are, are big, but knowing that you casting a line may get you in the door, but the things that keep you there is all those other things. You'd be amazed at how many times I, I, I put other people in media uh, when I wrote my book. And how many big name guys? And I said, hey, send me a picture with a, well, can I text it to you? No, dude, you need, you need to understand resolution. Like I'm not a, you know, some fancy guy with this stuff, but I know that I have to learn what resolution is. Right. And, and you have to have pictures. Like how do you fish a hundred days a year and you don't have any pictures of yourself? So 
these are all little things and, and not any given one of them is going to make you or break you probably. Um, but when you put all of these together, the guys that have a majority of them and in lieu of not having them are the guys that you're seeing that are getting paid or that are elevating up or, or even given those opportunities. Because I'm at the point now where fortunately I don't approach anyone. I, I've got a really good group of people. I'm not really actively looking for any person. Um, not that I wouldn't be open to some opportunities, but I, I've got a really good core group of, of what I need and, and, and a good, just good people. But yet a lot of people come to me with opportunities and, you know, now I have the ability to say no, which is a huge thing. It's good for everybody really. And I think guys are always trying to put the card in front of the horse. You know, they're trying to say, Hey, what do I get sponsored? You're not doing, you're not doing anything to even help your own business. You need, you need, how can you help somebody else's? And I think that that is one of the biggest holdups bar none in the fishing industry right now, because companies like fish USA, I promise you, they can't have enough good pro staff or Sims or Rufus is barking on us. He doesn't like that. He's like, oh, but, um, you know, I don't care if it's Sims or whatever, the, those companies, Shimano, they have room for good people because there's so many people not doing their job. Just like in, you know, your mom, your dad, your neighbors or whatever, the same thing. There's somebody there that the company would love to probably fill the seat with somebody else. Right. Nobody wants to talk about it, but that, that is a real, real reality. Because I, I think that what we talked about earlier there, there is not as many opportunities in fishing right now, but yet there are way more opportunities for people that are willing to work. Right. I know that may sound kind of like talking on both sides of your mouth, but I think that it was easier for the masses to get opportunities back in the early PWT days. Right, right now, I think it's no different than like companies that I work with, um, certainly won't say names, but we, I literally had a uh, conversation at ICAST and I said, Hey, I know somebody, where do you guys have? And they said, if it's the right person, we will make a position because they understand how valuable good people are right now that actually fish. Right. So I would say, get out there, probably go work for a company, go do some things, go help a rep or somebody and get involved and make yourself, you know, useful. You went on the Tuesday night tournaments, not useful, believe it or not. I, I hate to burst somebody's bubble. Yeah, I agree. You know, I would say this, um, if you're getting into it to get sponsored, that's the wrong reasons. You know, you, you don't get into the fishing industry and with the intention to be a sponsored angler or any of that. Um, that stuff comes after you do a lot of work, you know, and a lot of free work, a lot of late nights. A lot of, a lot of free labor, you know, and it's just, it's just having blind faith because you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Right. And then when you finally get a sit at the table, what are you going to do to keep it? Because now you got a seat at the table. What are you going to do to keep it? Are you going to step up, put in the work, you know, do what it takes. Like you said prior, you know, are you willing to do what it takes or do you just think you want it? A lot of work, man. Like I said, you you take a business plan for what we do and you remove fishing from the whole thing. You go take it to a banker or to a life consultant or whatever they call themselves nowadays. They look at it and be like, are you insane? So you got to have that passion. And then you also have to just, I think the biggest thing that I would tell you or Joe Schmo, because I have these conversations where there's a boat shows or friends, kids, is you need to remove the ego from it. Right. 
really hard in fishing, you know, and it's a double-edged sword because everyone has an ego to a certain extent. And I think that, you know, sometimes confidence is um, replaced with ego and you, we all have it. Sometimes you need it to give you a little boost or something or whatever you tell yourself, but the egos in fishing really hold back a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Um, so tell me, Ross, how can people find you? How can you find, how can, I mean, as long as we're not in jail, I think they can uh, find me by big water fishing rather we're on YouTube. Um, our podcast that we also do is on about 20 different the download sites, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, bigwaterfishing.com. You Google big water, one word, hopefully me, Ross in there or fishing or walleyes. I think you're, you can find us. And I'll definitely drop all the, uh, all the links in the description to your website, to your YouTube channel, your podcast platforms. Um, and also the, uh, you know, the links so people can book a trip with you and, and come out and learn some things and spend some time on the water with, uh, Ross Robertson. I appreciate it. It was good, uh, good talking to you and talking about some different stuff. Everybody thinks we're going to talk about, you know, what's our favorite rod and reel and, and that's got a time and a place, but I think talking about some real stuff and some life stuff is a, uh, is a good situation and we should do more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got to get you back on because I do have a lot of, uh, deeper fishing questions you know i'm not i'm not real big on the what's your favorite rod what's your favorite reel i want to know why you know so i have a whole list of questions that uh that we'll do a part two sounds good man awesome thanks for coming on the show ross i really appreciate it brother thanks for having me i'll see you soon see you joe hey guys thanks for listening to the show Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. We will see you on the next episode. And remember, for me, fishing is life.